Wait, can you see it? Uh, yes. Okay, so to oh, start from off, coast to coast. <laughs> it's from coast to coast, but it's from TikTok. <laughs> so ignore the coast to coast AM. So <laughs> this is a TikTok of you know those crazy kids and their TikToks. So this one's a, a TikTok of a skinwalker. You see? Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It kind of looks like one of those. Um, it's good CGI that you have TikTok running at exactly the right time to capture this. I don't actually know if it I'll, is. Yeah. Uh, it's weird that it just cuts right there. Yeah. Not like the uh, videos or the camera thrown down or something like that. Yeah, definitely so I, looks like what's been reported as either crawlers in North America, sorry, crawlers around the world, or skinwalkers, which range a lot because they can shapeshift. Yeah, I don't know yeah. why they're specifically quantifying it as a skinwalker, but I thought that was uh, interesting. Oh, you My found the one, one in Castanet. <laughs> that I have. Yeah, so this is from your neck of the woods. It's from East Kelowna. They found a Bigfoot print. I don't know if you so... Yeah, this guy heard some messing around outside near his garbage cans <laughs> over the night. And when he came, when he woke up, he saw that his uh, gate had been broken and he found this uh, foot mark in the ground. It's six inches wide. I think it's 15 inches long. And he says that he wasn't a believer before seeing this, but he thinks it might have been a Bigfoot. Interesting. And uh, he... He actually had this happen to him in January of 2021, and he took a long time to actually tell anybody about it because he didn't. Oh, like really? That. It wasn't yeah. until this happened, or what? It well, apparently, uh, he told a few people, and they it kept going around. And Castanet is a very small newspaper for a very small area of the world, uh, the Okanagan Valley, in fact, in Canada. And yeah, they posted this. It was earlier in the week of, I believe, is either the last week of February or the first week of March. And then the next day, they also posted a, a skeptic's interpretation of it. And it does make a lot of sense. And it's that um, it's in soft mud. So he thinks that it's kind of overemphasized how big it is because it sl slides back. And if you look at the toes there, there's definitely a yeah, lot of sliding. I mean, I get the overemphasizing, but that's not yeah. something that would be overemphasized. Yeah, but it, it was funny that the next day they did, in fact, do a uh, counter argument to what he had said. That is good. I mean, and like also, I, I like the fact that it's East Kelowna because the climate of Kelowna, there's not many places for a Bigfoot to really hide. Whereas here, well, yeah. it's rainforest, so you can like easily hide. Like bears, there's a lot of bears here. Not that there's a lot of, not a lot of bears in Kelowna, but. It's much thicker forest to hide in for these Bigfoots. Yeah, we're we're a desert, so it's not that thick of forest. But if you go into the next valley over, there's no humans. It's very, very open just to nature. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's things that we didn't know about in those valleys. Good. <laughs> Anyhow, I like that. Yeah. Well, should we get started? We shall. From the unexplained to the mundane, come join us on a journey to the fringe. Welcome to our now fifth episode of 
journey to the fringe. We have been exploring the Close Encounter scale as presented by J. Allen Hynek. We are now on to the Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Now, let's just go over briefly the first two that we have already talked about. A Close Encounter of the Fifth Kind is with a UFO or something unidentified, visually being sighted and appearing to be within 500 feet of the viewer. Yeah. So you saw something, it was close enough to get a visual and kind of know what's going on, but no additional evidence. Then we went on to talk about Close Encounters of the Second Kind, which is a UFO event in which a physical effect is alleged. And that can be many different things from a smell, a sound, interactions with the ground, interactions with other objects. A big one in this category, well, is animals reacting to this event. And that brings us to the end of the traditional Close Encounter scale, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which are UFO encounters in which an animated entity is present, which includes humanoids, robots, and humans who seem to be occupants or pilots of a UFO. And we both have cases today with different types of entities occupying these crafts. Hmm. Now, uh, without further ado, Chelsea, why don't you take it over for your encounter? I'm telling my first encounter today, which is Betty and Barney Hill. They're the first recorded abduction. So I'm not going to get into their abduction today. That just because that goes into another close encounter of the, I think it would be fifth kind. Yeah, but, um, it's, and that's one that's outside of the proposed normal jail on yeah. the scale. Yeah, so we're going to probably just have a whole, well, we will have a whole other episode on abduction somewhere down the line. So there's. They their abduction encounter really sets the standard and there's literally no other reference. This is one of the first ones of what they experienced. So a lot of what they see during the abduction experience is totally because of them. Well, not because of them, but that's where we first hear it. Let's set the scene. So it's 1961 in New Hampshire. The Cold War is still happening. The first man has made his way into space now in April for Russia and then for the U.S. was in May. So this is May to September. The space race is going down. Raggedy Ann is at her peak at this time. Segregation is very much a thing. And I say this for a reason because Betty and Barney Hill are an interracial couple. Betty is a social worker and Barney is employed by the U.S. Postal Service. They're both stand-up citizens. They're part of the Unitarian Congregation. They're highly involved in civil rights. Barney sits on a board for the U.S. Civil Rights Commission. And they're a member of the NAACP, which is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Just to kind of give you a background, Barney's very intelligent. Mm -hmm. I do have one question while we're at this point, at least. Were they the inspiration for Betty and Barney Rubble of Flintstone fame? Yes, actually, little known fact. Actually, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) That mystery will remain outstanding until the next episode, unfortunately. I just about blew your mind. Barney has a very high IQ, which is 140. The sighting is they're on their way back from Canada. They went through Toronto, Niagara Falls. They were going to make their way to Montreal, and they decided not to and just to head home. This is September 19th that this begins to happen and kind of comes to an end on the 20th, 1961. 
So they're driving down an empty road, winding through the White Mountains, and they hadn't seen a car for miles. Roughly 10.30 p.m., Betty observes what she first thinks is a shooting star. However, it moved from below the moon and up over planet Jupiter, which is kind of a note that makes its way after. I don't know that she actually said it moves over Jupiter, but we'll see later after they report this to the Air Force. That's a conclusion they come to, that it was Jupiter. However, she sees this craft move upward. Yeah, um, and something... if you're Shooting stars don't go up. They're, they're they heading towards the ground. They don't go up. If you're familiar with shooting stars, they don't shoot up. It quickly moves from what she thought was an identified object to unidentified as it shoots upwards. So Betty asked Barney to pull over. Barney agrees to pull over to walk Delcy, the family dog. He doesn't think there's anything strange going on. He is thinking that it's an aircraft. This is south of the Twin Mountain. He also brings along his pistol because he's worried about bears. So I do have my suspicions. It's in case he wants to check out if anything's hostile or not. And you can do this with a bear. <laughs> there's there's well, my fact. And that is just common practice. If you see something unknown, shoot at it to see if it's peaceful. Yeah, that's the test. That's been well established early on in this uh, overview. The sources. Just please don't shoot at anything to find out if it's hostile. I didn't give anybody that idea. <laughs> we do not condone this. This is just military style. But the military says yes. Betty pulls out a pair of binoculars to get a better look and observe an odd-shaped craft. So it's getting closer at this point. She sees an odd-shaped craft and it's flashing different colors of light and traveling across the moon. So she pulls out her binoculars to get a better look. Betty's sister had a sighting of a flying saucer several years prior, so she was thinking this might be what she's looking at. On a side note on this, which we'll probably get into in our abductions episode, abductions typically are reported to run in bloodlines. So kind of not surprising that her sisters had a sighting, but also something to keep in mind that she's jumping to this conclusion so quickly. Barney also takes a look through the binoculars and says it's a commercial airliner, only to quickly change his mind when the object descends quickly towards them. So he shot on it and... He shot at it? No. He did not oh. shoot at it. <laughs> he wanted to see if it was hostile. Yeah. So he didn't. Quick no see shots it. were fired. <laughs> I'm glad we've established with most IFOs whether or not they're hostile. <laughs> So Where will it's be a terrifying place. Do you, like, no, you don't really hear of that with anything else. It's just if it's unidentified that they tend to shoot at things. They were quickly in the car getting the fuck out of there because it was getting too close. Betty and Barney drive slowly down the road so that she could continue to watch it. They drove through the Franconian Notch and the object continues to get closer, passing over a restaurant and signal tower on top of Cannon Mountain. Betty says the craft was 1.5 times the length of the granite cliff profile, which would put this at about 40 feet long. The object was rotating and moving erratically, bouncing back and forth. They do say it appeared as if it was playing a game with the couple. Eventually, the object rapidly descends towards their vehicle, causing Barney to stop in the middle of the road. 
They do get out of the vehicle at this point and it hovers silently about 80 to 100 feet above their car and it reminds Barney of a pancake. Barney moves towards the aircraft, still with the pistol in tow, binoculars on the craft. Through binoculars, Barney witnesses about 8 to 11 humanoid figures, which he describes as somehow not human, looking back at him. And they all move towards what appears to be a panel in the rear of rear wall of the hallway while, while he's looking through his binoculars. One figure remains looking at Barney, and Barney tries then to reach his pistol, and I mean this for real this time. <laughs> not, not all the joking about shooting at it. He tries I, uh, to, yeah. I'm just picturing right now, Barney is black, right? Yes, yes. Oh, darn. Because in the movie Made for TV Remake, I'm really picturing Danny DeVito here. <laughs> where he just says, so anyways, I started blasting. <laughs> So it it has made the story a lot less uh, (laughs) eerie and scary in my mind. Yeah. Just an aside here before I start on with the rest of this. Arnie is really trying to describe it away. He's very rational. He is kind of weird. Like some things say they went to Montreal. Some things say they don't to Montreal. Here, there was conflicting information about whether or not he had some sort of military or air force background. So I didn't put it in because it only came up in one thing that I looked at. So it did appear as if he had some sort of either interest in aircraft or something like that, but I can't say for sure. So I didn't really put it in there. And he's really trying to explain this away as rational. So this is him saying, this part with the binoculars and this is prior to any of this is his clear memory at this point of what's happening not anything to do with being under hypnosis or anything like that not that i've brought that up at all yet no and i don't um, think you really need to if we're not getting into not going the abduction. To. no i'm not going to but this is all their memories at this point they all move towards what appears to be a panel in the rear wall of the hallway One figure remains looking at Barney and he tries to reach for his pistol, but somehow he couldn't. And there's a communication telepathically to him that says, stay where you are and keep looking. Barney recollects the figures wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps. Suddenly, and I'm going to share my screen with you with the picture of what they drew. Suddenly, red lights begin to come out of batwing-type fins on the craft, and a long structure descends from the bottom of the craft, which Barney estimates comes within 50 to 80 feet overhead and 300 feet away from him. So you can kind of see the figures here, and maybe we can post this on social media somewhere or something of this yeah. craft that the, so he's drew it's up It's really here. hockey puck shaped. With it's really, he said two, pancake. Yeah. That's really a delicious looking. And he was just coming back from Canada. Yeah. And he didn't think hockey puck. No. Okay. And anyhow, yeah. Everywhere here. Yeah. And so there's front windows that they clearly put stick figures inside. Very human-like stick figures. (laughs) At this point, Barney is out. Barney's out of there again. Back in the car, understandably so, and drives at high speed in a near hysterical state, tells Betty they're going to capture us. The object continues to follow the hills, 
Eddie rolls down the window to watch the object, however, only sees darkness above them, and it was blocking the stars on a clear, starry night. The hills then hear a rhythmic series of beeping and buzzing sounds that seem to bounce off the trunk, and the car vibrates and sends a tingling sensation through their bodies. The couple then says they feel an onset of an altered state of consciousness from here that left their minds dulled. A second series of horse-like beeping and buzzing sounds returns them to consciousness where they found they had traveled nearly 35 miles south. That's about 56 kilometers, but no memory of the section of the road that was missed. Then they recall making a sudden unplanned turn, encountering a roadblock and a fiery orb in the road. Upon their return home, they're missing about two hours that they can't recall at all. Their watches are stopped at the same time on both their watches and they never worked again. The leather strap for the binoculars was torn, though they had no memory of it being torn. The toes of Barney's best dressed shoes were scraped. Each did draw a picture of what they observed and it was very similar. The shiny concentric circles, well, back when the, from the beeping and buzzing sounds that they heard that sent vibrations through the car, there was concentric circles on the trunk of their car that were not there prior, which they associate with the sounds that they heard. And they could not be washed away. And they got an idea at one point to put a compass near them, and the compass would whirl rapidly over the spots. However, return to normal once they were removed from around the spots did they ever do any radiation check i don't believe they did because that's always yeah one of those ones that they do a lot of the time specifically hear anything on that through all that i was going through or read anything on that so i'm not particularly sure however i didn't read anything this does go to project blue book which i didn't read that report yeah they saw jupiter Yeah, that's what essentially it comes up with. So their memories end after the buzzing sounds where these concentric circles on the trunk of their car come from. September 21st, Betty reports their experience to Peace Air Force Base and contacts NICAP, which is the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon. Major Paul Hill from the Air Force Base contacts the Hills September 22nd, so the day after, for a more detailed interview. And then four days later, he's determined that they misidentified Jupiter. This was later changed to optical condition, inversion, and insufficient data, and in the report that was filed with Project Blue Book. And then after an interview conducted by NICAP member Walter N. Webbs, he states that they were telling the truth and the incident probably occurred exactly as reported, except for some minor uncertainties and technicalities that must be tolerated in any such observation where human judgment is is involved. For example, exact times, length of visibility, apparent size of object and occupants, distance and height of the object. This is kind of where my close encounter of the third kind stops prior to it in turning into an abduction story, which I'll save for another time when we actually do abductions, like I said at the very beginning of this. And as I mentioned, this is not a flying saucer sighting because they definitely happen prior to this, like we covered in my history of UFOs, our history of UFOs, the beginnings of UFOs, all the flaps. <laughs> but they're actual the beings that they witnessed, which I'll get into on that abduction one, is the first time that these little guys show up. These lovable guys show up 
in colloquially known ever. as the Greys. Greys. That's where they come from. That's it. That's their super close experience witnessing beings. Do you mean Jupiter? Yeah, sorry. I misspoke. (laughs) And yeah, it's always an interesting case with Barney and Betty Hill because they are an interracial couple in the early 60s. And from a lot of the stories that you'll hear about it, a lot of people will say, why would they want to draw unwanted attention onto themselves in this fashion? Yeah. It doesn't really come into play a lot in this portion of the story, just because this is their actual sighting and it gets a little bit more controversial once they start getting into the abduction. It's weird. It does get weird. And there's a Um, lot of speculation of what's going on in there. There is a lot of speculation, but Barney is pretty, pretty quiet guy. He wants to rationalize it. He doesn't want, I mean, they're pretty involved in their community. They don't want to ruffle any feathers or come off as these people who are having this totally unexplained experience. Yeah. That's Betty and Barney Hill. One the most famous abduction case in UFO history. Most simple. Uh, Most importantly, we did not talk at all about that part either. What part? The abduction part. The most famous abduction (laughs) part. You heard it here first. The one that doesn't talk about the abduction. We're that podcast that doesn't talk about the famous stuff. We went there. (laughs) Okay, with Barney and Betty Hill out of the way, I'm going to tell all of you about the very wonderful and quirky story of Joe Simonton. Joe Simonton was a farmer, a chicken farmer in Eagle River, Wisconsin. He, in 1961, was about 60 years old. And he was sitting down on April 18th, having a snack. And at 11 a.m., he heard, he said the sound was of knobby tires on wet pavement. Thought it was weird. (laughs) So he woke outside and he saw a flying saucer shaped object that was 12 feet in height, 30 feet in diameter, and it landed in his yard. Very textbook saucer shape doesn't have and like everybody says, there's no um, rivets or anything like that. It's untarnished outside exterior, except for six or seven inch diameter um, exhaust pipes. Now, when this craft lands in his yard, it opens up and one of its occupants comes out and Joe described the occupant as five feet tall, about 125 pounds and dark skinned. And by dark skinned, I don't know how dark he means, but he always describes them as Italian looking. So this this Italian man who uh, is clean shaven as well is wearing a dark blue or black knit uniform with a turtleneck and a helmet like cap. They, they don't talk to each other, but Joe gets the idea that they want water. And whether or not this was actually ESP communicated to him or not, or it's just being handed this vessel that gave him this idea. But it's about a foot tall vessel with two handles, and it's the exact same chrome color as the craft. So he takes it into his house, and he fills it with water from his well, and he gives it back. The... Italian man gives him a very strange salute. He says he puts his fingers to his head as in some form of salute. So he did the same thing. 
As he was going back into the craft, Joe got a look inside. He sees that there are three occupants in total. All of them look exactly the same. Oh, sorry, not exactly the same. They all are five-ish foot tall Italian men in more or less the same outfit. One of them has a little bit of red trim on his outfit. What he did notice is the interior is very dark compared to the exterior. And he actually quite liked this uh, contrast. He said he wanted to paint one of his rooms like that one day. One of the occupants is cooking on what he described as a flameless grill. He's making pancakes. This is bizarre. (laughs) Yeah. Joe asks the man operating the grill if he can have some pancakes. So he gets given three pancakes. He's actually making pancakes. Yeah, he gets given three pancakes from the uh, craft occupant. They're all three inches or so in diameter, really thin. They're they're not quite normal pancakes as you would think about them because they kind of have like holes throughout them, but more or less easy to describe as pancakes. Yeah, Italian pancakes. Yeah, they don't know how to make those. (laughs) Yeah, he gets those three pancakes. The craft closes its door, goes 20 feet in the sky, blasts off at a 45 degree angle and two seconds later he can't see the craft so that in its total is the actual sighting itself wow so you were just given three pancakes from a italian man in a spaceship or whatever you don't know what it is what would be your first thing to do i was just gonna ask you so do you eat them yes he ate one i would eat one i would eat one yeah. Like the rest. He ate one of them. He said it tasted like cardboard. And then he held on to the other two and he went to... It was a local judge who was also kind of an avid UFO enthusiast. So he took those and this guy's name is Villa's County Judge Frank Carter. And he unfortunately decides at this point to start calling the people inside this craft. Not Italians, but saucer knots. There we go. Which I think is an I mean, even better name than Alien. Yeah. Saucer Knots is great. It's just not all inclusive. It's so Especially funny not Italian. It's such a bizarre case. I also think you said 1961, right? Yeah. Wisconsin. And, which um, is Betty yeah. and Barney Hill. The story I just told is 1961 New Hampshire. So not very far away from one another in a similar time well, frame. They're pretty far away. Wisconsin? Well. Yeah. Wisconsin I mean, they're both northern country. U.S., but Wisconsin's yeah. kind of dead center. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Yeah, but same US. year. It's all part of the same flap. Yeah. And, oh, sorry, one thing just to add to this. This is all corroborated by a man by the name of Savino Borgo. He's an Eagle Rivers insurance agent, and he saw, while this was all going on, he saw some type of craft go overhead. Interesting. And I think we got away from what happened with the judge and the pancakes. Did the judge? Oh, you don't worry. I don't just end it there. No, he didn't eat any. He took it to NICAP that we're just talking about. Yeah, NICAP. Yeah, they refused to do any research into it. And then Project Blue Book came to the scene. And they, Project Blue Book came to the scene. J. Allen Hynek actually got involved in this one. The Air Force did do an analysis of it. And what they found was the pancakes were made of sugar, grease, and flour. And there's there were rumors that it was unidentified wheat, which is just a whole other idea, unidentified wheat. <laughs> but well, it's not identified Jacques, wheat, yeah. so... Yeah. Jacques Vallée does make at this point, this is in, uh, he talks about this one in detail in Passport to Magonia. 
He makes sure to point out that they don't list salt as one of the things that's inside the pancakes. Hmm. And that has a lot to do with folklore, fairy tale, myth, that a lot of these beings that we've been interacting with for so long, they don't ever interact with salt. And in fact, a lot of the time they're looking for water as well. Salt is very bad so for us. So this, yeah, well, it's we necessary. Do but... yeah, we do need yeah. some salt. But not all the salt, despite the fact that the salt lies and tells you you do. So they good. look into Joe Simonton at Project Blue Book. They find that he's pretty upstanding individual. He's never been outspoken or making up stories. That his story being interviewed many, many times and not actually just reporting it as soon as it happened. His story sticks up together. And like when people start to exaggerate, he says, no, that didn't happen at all. Let's just stick to the story as it happened. He doesn't hmm. exaggerate at all. And he has the pancakes, despite the fact that they seem to know what they're made of. He's got three pancakes, two at that point, and now just one, I would assume. But the story that they come up with for Joe is that he had some sort of mental lapse. They think it would be harmful to his demeanor to further investigate. So they stopped investigating. What? Who stopped investigating? Yeah. Nightcap? Project Blue Book. They just said insufficient data or unknown and said that's exactly Let's just what they said on that's what they said on benny and barney hill yeah and this is yeah this is during i can't remember the name of the director of project blue book at the time but this is that guy who just got in there and he's like no we don't have to do that much and then another guy put forth which i think is almost my favorite theory that i've ever heard was a magician was hired and he hypnotized Joe Simonton to have the story implanted in his mind. And this was all a ruse to get attraction to the town for a small, almost like Disneyland like carnival area that was being built. I do like that one. It's very creative. Yeah, that one was put Way forth by. I love that one. But that one's it's pretty all... crazy. And I love those really yeah. weird ones because that's just something that you're like, there's no way that happened because it's not in the realm of even, not that I abduction cases and things like that are in the realm of something that's normalized, but that's so out of the norm. No, there's a pattern. Of... People try to find a pattern of what's going on. And yeah. I do and especially like, like to look this. at the one. Yeah. There's a lot like this, but we, I, and I like these ones too. And that's why we're doing a podcast like this. I like the ones that you don't hear about ever. And it's so weird because you see cases like this on X-Files and on TV and there's movies about it. And none of them, those ones are kind of, they're all the same. They're all normalized. Then you don't kind of get these ones. And in that sense, it kind of discredits itself because nobody's used to hearing about cases like this. Where they're cooking pancakes and they just offer up some pancakes because i guess they got to pancakes eat for water and yeah, i'm sharing my screen with pancakes. you uh this is a photo of joe and his pancake you actually oh, that's not a pancake at all that's like it, a yeah it's very thin it's an italian pancake it's burnt yeah it didn't say it was a good cook i like this angle of the picture by the way yeah, it's great. It like he he's really pondering that pancake. <laughs> like he's hungry. He's only got one left. Should he save it so that people can research it or should he just eat it? I got to know, would you would you eat one if you had three? If I got three of them, I would eat one. Yeah, 
sure. What if Although, it was the most oh, delicious pancake that you ever had in your life and you knew you could never recreate it? And funny enough that you should mention the X-Files on this too, because they do say that this UFO case uh, inspired one episode of the X-Files called Fallen Angel in the first season. Oh, I'm writing that down. Interesting. I have to ask, because it didn't come up. You didn't specifically say it, and I feel like they didn't talk because you didn't say it. Uh, did they communicate in any other way other than just handing him a vessel to fill with water? He doesn't really say that. He just says that he kind of realized that they were asking for water. That's uh, what I was I, I really, yeah, I really think had they actually said anything, he would have said that. But if they put that idea in his head, then it also does work that way. And yeah. they didn't talk to him when he asked for a pancake. They just gave him pancakes. I mean, that's fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> just closed the door and took off. And yeah, I really wish they would have talked in a very thick Italian accent. <laughs> but these are not stereotypical Italians either because they're making pancakes, <laughs> although badly. They are making pancakes. Well, it couldn't have a... been a pancake. This is just the closest thing they had to comparing it to, which I can't say that I would call that a pancake, but I can't find another word for what I think that is. Maybe maybe a biscuit. Very, maybe a very thin crepe, a burnt crepe. Oh, yeah, crepe. But then they'd be Frenchmen, and you can't have... These were not Frenchmen. <laughs> these were Italian. These were Italians. <laughs> <laughs> it's already crazy enough. Don't go adding to the story. In turtlenecks. This is, that one is so crazy. I do yeah. recall reading this in... Um, Passport to Magonia. Yeah, Passport yeah. to Magonia. And, and then, that's, I love the story, too. It does not get talked about as much as it should because it doesn't follow a pattern that their people have looked at. And it's kind of like they said in uh, Skinwalker Ranch when they're talking about Yowies, which is, we'll talk about in a bit, those are Australian Bigfoots. But roughly 10% of sightings that are reported of Yowies in Australia have some sort of UFO connection. Yes. I think a lot of UFOs anywhere and in A lot the of world... people don't they like yeah, they like to stick to their nice nook of what they're looking at and mm. how it's been pushed forward. When as we're going through all of these things that we're going to talk about, I think we're going to see a lot of interconnectedness throughout. Yeah, and that it's something often that often just doesn't get talked about. We're going to we would love to explore and this is part of the podcast. We want to cover things that we don't see in other podcasts and all those this is really weird. Let's talk about it. And even within UFO communities, cryptozoology communities and things like that, they even will argue because they don't want to cross the lines of all the weirdness to kind of discredit their work. So nobody really, really takes a broad look at all the weirdness happen. Jacques Vili, I feel like he does spend a lot of time looking at the weird cases. And I like that. He does. Yeah, he has his own theories about what's going on. And I, he is a fantastic, he's been on Joe Rogan recently. He does a phenomenal interview. I wonder if I've heard that. I don't think I have. So um, that will conclude our first dive into UFOs. Yeah. yeah you should so all I now did... have a deep understanding and be experts on the subject. And just a tiny bit more it. attractive because of this information. Yes. And that's what we were going for. <laughs> Yes. And if you would like to see your attractiveness level continue to rise, 
stick with us as we move into the world of cryptids. We're going to talk a little bit about Bigfoot, some of the more mundane, less exciting cryptids, but also the more obscure and crazy ones. Stay tuned. For more than just a UFO and cryptid podcast. Oh, much more to come. Yes. All right. Take care, everybody, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. Uh, we are a new podcast, and we would very much so appreciate if you could like, subscribe, share, and if possible, provide a five-star review or some sort of feedback if you feel like there's anything we could be doing better. But five-star review is the best thing you can do for us, as it does help, unfortunately, in the world of algorithms. Yes. Please and thank you. And you can follow us on social media at Journey to the Fringe. We don't have all of them, so try searching it. Instagram, we're on Facebook. Right now we have a subreddit. And if there's anything you want to hear in the future, feedback, anything, you can email us at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. If there's something we're missing that you'd like to see us on, please let us know. We only know what we know. So we're only and in so many places. Also, if you feel that we have gotten anything wrong, please let us know there as well, as we would really like to have the best information possible. We are mm -hmm. only as good as our research. And if you can provide anything further, it's a real help. Or if you want to share anything, we yes. will definitely, we're open to shares. So yes, thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.